Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Second half of the baseball season is underway. The trade deadline is right around the corner, and BetOnline is the place to stop for all of the baseball action the remainder of July. Head to their website or use your mobile device today to sign up. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast Live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is July 29th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. If my math is correct, this is episode number 996 here on the Take It Easy podcast. And Thursday of next week, we are going to hit 1,000 podcasts here on the show. It is very, very exciting, and I appreciate all of your continued support and all of the support you've shown for the fall of the Spurs Dynasty. It's a five-part podcast series that I made. It has its own podcast feed. I've been releasing it on Wednesdays, for about the last month and a little over a month now. The first episode was actually a month ago today. So you can check out all five episodes available now wherever you get podcasts. There's all kinds of links and stuff in the description to this episode. We've got a fun show coming up later on. Well, no, we've got a fun show coming up all day, but we've got a fun segment coming up in a second with uh, a game that we're going to play with the MLB trade deadline that I concocted in my little itty bitty amount of free time in between making the Spurs documentary. And uh, in the Major League Baseball trade deadline, it actually matters a lot. If you care about baseball, pay attention to the MLB trade deadline because like in the NBA, James Harden might get swapped for Ben Simmons or Nikola Vucevic will go to the Bulls and it'll be a a fun story like that, or players get bought out. In the MLB, it's like the Atlanta Braves rebuilt half of their offense at the trade deadline and won the World Series last year. So, like, entire teams can shift at the trade deadline, especially when, uh, for some reason, the past two years, there's just been a shit ton of sellers and not a ton of buyers because the middle class in baseball likes to either stand pat or sell so that they have capital to make moves later. But there, yeah, there's a lot of sellers in baseball and not a lot of buyers, and so you have the Atlanta Braves last year getting the World Series MVP in Jorge Soler, getting Adam Duvall, 
they traded for Jock Peterson and they rebuilt half of their offense for the World Series team in one trade deadline. So the trade deadline matters in baseball. We're going to play a fun game because I've been following the trade deadline closely for about eight years now and it's got this very formulaic nature to it that uh, I think you'll enjoy. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Where I wanted to start off today with our A block surrounds the Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Seahawks' decision to extend one DK Metcalf on Thursday. DK Metcalf, this is actually this time of year, is going to be quite common for these like tiny types of deals. So like when a contract extension comes through right before training camp or right at the start of training camp, it's going to be something that's like, hey, noteworthy, but I'm going to be like, okay, cool, something's not worth talking about. Like Kyle Rudolph and Julio Jones, I joked about last year, Julio Jones, we spent three weeks waiting for that trade with the Titans, and damn it if I'm ever going to care about a transaction that much again. Carson Wentz and Julio Jones ruined the transaction window for me last year. I will not do that again, where I just sit around spending three weeks of content waiting for a transaction to happen. But instead of revisiting trauma of 2021, let's talk about DK Metcalf getting a contract extension from the Seahawks, because we talked about this a couple times With the DK Metcalf situation, especially right after Russell Wilson got traded to the Broncos, I think we did like two or three podcasts with three different people about the Russell Wilson trade. And one of the things that got brought up in the immediate aftermath is like, okay, the Seahawks are going to stink next year. Do you just tear everything apart and everyone's available for trade? And the thing that I consistently said is like, under any circumstances, everyone should be available for the the price that you set them at. Like, whatever you value them at, most teams are run by people who, at the very least, have an understanding of markets. I'm not going to say smart people or people with degrees. Like, just general understanding of football markets. Only the most inept of teams don't necessarily understand the value of their players. Like, even the Houston Texans understood the value of Laramie Tunsil and Deion, uh, Deshaun Watson, the sexual predator, Understood that the sexual predator was worth five first round or three first round picks, two second round picks, and two hundred and fifty million dollars. Even they had the foresight to recognize that, even though they're the franchise who gave up all their draft picks for Laramie Tunsil and then got no draft picks in return for DeAndre Hopkins. So like most teams have a basic understanding of markets. And this entire segment that I'm gonna do hinges on the preface that the Seattle Seahawks have a plan. I know that that's a bit of a stretch for NFL teams. Not every NFL team has a plan. I'm going to operate under the assumption that the Seattle Seahawks are one of the well-run organizations because even though John Schneider and Pete Carroll have not been good at drafting over the last six years, I throw out the stats all the time that the Seattle Seahawks, between the year after they lost the Super Bowl and... I guess that would have been 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And 2020, the year that they lost to the Rams in the wild card, which I guess is their last playoff appearance. So between the the six years between 2015 and 2020, the Seattle Seahawks won more regular season games than any team in NFL history that didn't make at least one conference championship game. Like team that never made it past the first or second round. They won more games than any team that never made one conference championship game. And 
I also talk all the time that the Seattle Seahawks, since they lost that Super Bowl and broke up the Legion of Boom and gave Russell Wilson a big contract and made him corporate face of the Seahawks, who's always good enough to get you 10 wins, but he loses to Aaron Rodgers and he loses to MVP Matt Ryan and he loses to Dak Prescott and he loses to Jared Goff for some reason, but also just lost to Sean McVay. Like, Russell Wilson is that guy who gets you 9-10 wins every year. Since 2015, the Seahawks have drafted two All-Pro players. One is DK Metcalf, one is the punter. So the Seattle Seahawks have not been great at at drafting top-level talent. And they haven't had great draft picks, but the reason that John Schneider and Pete Carroll will go, or one of the two, maybe not both, but one of the two will go into the Hall of Fame when they retire is based on four years of finding value late in the draft. Richard Sherman, fifth round pick. Cam Chancellor was a first late first round pick. Earl Thomas was the 14th pick in the draft. Michael Bennett was a mid first, uh, sorry, mid third round pick. Uh, I forgot where uh, Cliff Averill was drafted, Byron Maxwell. Like they found value within the margins and built one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. I forgot where Bobby Wagner was drafted, but like the point still stands. They drafted four Hall of Famers on the defensive end of the ball. They drafted Bobby Wagner, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman. And none of them, I think Earl Thomas was picked 14, and that was like the highest draft pick in the draft. So. That's what's going to get them into the Hall of Fame. They haven't been able to do that for six, seven years. And so when Russell Wilson got traded, the first thing my mind went to is DK Metcalf should definitely be available for a price. And also you don't have to pay DK Metcalf, or sorry, you don't have to trade DK Metcalf. You do not have to trade DK Metcalf unless your price is hit, which Judging by the wide receiver market, like if Hollywood Brown is going for a late first round pick and A.J. Brown is going for a first and a third and uh, a new contract, you should basically be asking for first round pick and more for D.K. Metcalf. And if that price doesn't get met then, okay, cool, we'll just hang on to DK Metcalf and extend him. And lo and behold, the Seahawks did hold on to him and extend him. And it didn't seem like they had very significant DK Metcalf trade talks. I know Pete Carroll said initially that they just weren't taking Metcalf calls. Knew that one was fake because why would you not take Metcalf calls when you took calls on Russell Wilson and cut Bobby Wagner? But it wasn't unreasonable to see the Seahawks being the team that traded DK Metcalf to the Eagles or traded DK Metcalf to Arizona, like similar to the Hollywood Brown trade. It wasn't totally unreasonable to think that the case. So again, we're operating under the assumption the Seahawks have a plan. It seems like the Seahawks option here is suck for one year, land a quarterback and just plug and play the quarterback and speed up their development by having this stud wide receiver core and at least an improving offensive line. Because remember, they spent the ninth pick in the draft on the offensive line. They traded for Gabe Jackson last year. At the very least, like they're, they're making an effort to improve the offensive line. And basically what it looks like to me is plug and play the quarterback. Now, there are teams that get stuck in this cycle for years and years where they just kind of like plug and play shitty quarterbacks like Washington or the Colts or Atlanta now. Um, who else has been, uh, Carolina's been doing this for years. Uh, the, the Browns were doing this for years and years. Like the teams we think of that never get quarterbacks 
do sometimes just do the shitty plug and play quarterback. I'm assuming Seattle is not that team and that this is like a temporary, we're going to have Geno Smith play for one season type of situation. And we're going to go to the bottom of the draft and maybe we're not going to get the number one pick, but we're going to get enough of a top pick to get, to put ourselves in a position to get a really good quarterback. Like we might not get number one. We can't guarantee us number two, but we can at least get one of the good ones. And I'm hoping that one of the good ones ends up in Seattle because I don't want to see Bryce Young end up in Houston. Please, to the love of God, don't let Bryce Young end up in Houston. Let him go to Seattle. Even let him go to Detroit. Like, Detroit's proven at least competency with Matthew Stafford. Like, Matthew Stafford's at least been a top, like, 14 quarterback for his career. Like, at the very least, let's just get competency instead of Bryce Young going to the goddamn Texans. But I I just want one of them to go to Seattle because, again, Seattle looks like the game plan... For them is just plug and play someone into the lineup as a rookie and speed up their development by having all these pieces in place. And I don't know if the strategy is going to work because the strategy is contingent upon losing games. And as much as Seattle has gutted Bobby Wagner and gutted Russell Wilson and they have like maybe the worst quarterback situation in the NFL, I don't know if the team is so bad that they can guarantee themselves one of the top two to three picks in the NFL draft because while actively tanking is a strategy that works pretty efficiently in the NFL there's usually about six teams every year that are actively tanking and you're usually going to end up somewhere in the mix of one to six the Houston Texans have been so bad for so many years and they've had the number three pick two years in a row like the New York Jets Remember last year that video that that like 12-year-old released of the the Jets offense just being an absolute dumpster fire and and Zach Wilson just having no support. The Jets still had the number 4 pick in the draft last year. Like it it's the Miami Dolphins the year that they traded uh they traded who is it? I get Minka Fitzpatrick and they lost the first game of the season 58 to 7. And everyone's like this you know, the year that Brian Flores got paid $100,000 a loss. They still finished with the fifth worst record in the NFL. Like, it's really hard to guarantee yourself a top three pick. And a top four pick will be good enough to get you Will Levis. Or a top five pick will be good enough to get you Will Levis. So, like, maybe you have to trade up to get into the top if your team's not good enough to make it to that point. But what's interesting is the strategy is, just from a base level of, like, the the game plan is... We're going to get one of the three really good quarterbacks and we're going to plug one of the three really good quarterbacks into an offense that already has two pretty good receivers. I know Tyler Lockett's not the same player he once was, but like two really good receivers and the offensive line that we never gave Russell Wilson. And because of that, and because we're a well-run team, we're going to be able to fast track the development of a quarterback that we evaluate to be really, really good. Not sure which quarterback yet, but the one that we evaluate to be a really good quarterback. And I don't know exactly whether I'm doing the Seattle is a well-run organization, therefore Seattle will do better than Houston and will do better than Jacksonville and will do better than the Jets and will do better than the Lions. Maybe I'm just doing a Seattle is a well-run organization, therefore they're not going to be number one pick in the draft bad. I'm not sure what I'm doing there. I just feel like Seattle, for all of their efforts to tank this season, still has a team that can finish with five or six wins. Like, not even just removing Russell Wilson from the equation is enough to like make the whole thing unravel. 
Maybe I'm wrong. It just feels like Seattle doesn't guarantee themselves someone who's... Uh, we talked to Stripe Hype last week about it. Like, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, and Will Anderson are probably going to be the top four picks in the draft next year. It's early, obviously, but, like, that's the the early consensus top four picks in the draft. And I'm interested if Seattle's looking at that like, we, we can guarantee ourselves one of them. We, we know we can get one of them. We're not sure which one, but that's the game plan for this season is we're going to throw away a whole season in order to like transition from Russell Wilson immediately to whoever the next quarterback for the next 10 years is going to be. And part of that is signing DK Metcalf to an extension instead of trading a first round pick plus plus for DK Metcalf. And I think that's an interesting strategy. Again, operating under the assumption that Seattle has a plan. I think that's a really interesting strategy considering that we think of Seattle as a well-run team and well-run teams, as we've seen in the past few years, Golden State had the number two pick in the draft two years ago. They went from making the finals to number two pick in the draft to winning the finals two years later. Um, In baseball, we saw the Boston Red Sox go from having the four pick in the draft to going to the ALCS the next year. And while theirs was a weird circumstance with the pandemic season, like it's something that is at the very least plausible as a strategy. The Bengals were not a well-run organization, and I don't, I don't even think they're still a well-run organization, but like they went number one pick in the draft, number five pick in the draft, next year make the playoffs and happen to luck your way into a Super Bowl run. And I'm not saying like this is the shining example for everyone of like the Bengals are an organization of stability using tanking correctly. It's just they happen to tank. They got the LSU offense from the greatest college football offense ever and plugged it in. And all of a sudden it was good enough to make the playoffs because Lamar Jackson got hurt. So I'm not saying it's going to solve all of Seattle's problems, but I just bet on the well-run organization and maybe like the, 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 the capital has been bought up from Seattle. I know they made the playoffs like five years in a row after the Super Bowl loss, and they were just a good team instead of a great team. I Maybe I'm just doing the, I trust Seattle to be well run because John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to make the Hall of Fame. I'm just interested that that's the strategy that they've taken because I think it's a really good strategy. If they get a quarterback who becomes a guy who starts for them for 10 years it doesn't even have to be like the next Justin Herbert but if it becomes I don't know who's two tier two and a half if it becomes Dak Prescott or it becomes Derek Carr and Derek Carr has been with the Raiders for now 10 years and maybe Derek Carr shouldn't have been there for 10 years but like you get a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL for 10 years and They're cool with that. They'll take the one losing season for 10 years of stability at the quarterback position. I think most teams would take that trade-off of one year of being absolutely terrible for 10 years of stability at that most important position. And I guess what Seattle's part of Seattle's strategy is in reportedly not taking heavy calls on DK Metcalf and giving him the $24 million extension when I think he's like now the, the fifth highest paid wide receiver in the NFL, but in two years, that's going to be like the 11th highest paid wide receiver. Like choosing to actively extend Metcalf, keep Tyler Lockett, just cut Russell Wilson, cut Bobby Wagner and keep the ship upright is, hey, we can just kind of plug in the quarterback and turn this around in one year and be really interested to see if they try it. Because I don't know if they're bad enough to get a top pick in the draft. Maybe injuries and good luck or bad luck will change the the fortunes of that. But 
I just feel like the Seattle Seahawks are still so well run that they will finish in this ping pong ball lottery higher than they were maybe intending for when they traded Russell Wilson and cut Bobby Wagner. Maybe they finish with a higher pick than they thought. They get two first round picks in the draft and their own pick the year after that. So even if they finish with a five or six pick, maybe they can trade up to get one of the quarterbacks, which hasn't been a, a an answer the last few years because everyone at the top of the draft wants a quarterback. It's just interesting that Seattle is standing in that position of power where they're like, this season doesn't matter and we're going to shoot for stability. I don't know which of the three quarterbacks they're banking on being there because that'll change a lot over the next college football season, even though most people say it's Stroud, Young, and then a third distant Will Levis. Or, you know, young Stroud, Stroud, young being picks one and two. Will Anderson from Bama is going to be a top pick because he's like one of those prospects that's like automatically you can pencil in for like six Pro Bowls in his first eight seasons. Um, Even if you you put that down for Seattle, I'm interested by where the strategy goes from there because they could have torn it all to the ground and spent two or three years losing. They decided we're just going to replace Russell Wilson and replace Bobby Wagner and keep the ship rolling and that's a super interesting strategy and I'm betting on them to get it right just because they're well run and being well run buys you a lot of bonus points in the NFL I'm just I'm really interested to see where it goes from there and the extension from DK Metcalf leads me to think this is the most plausible plan for them assuming of course that Seattle does have a plan which with any NFL team is never a guarantee I just trust that Seattle is a well-run team because they constructed a generation's greatest football team with the same people in charge now who were in charge back then. Obviously, the owner has died in the time since, but the same general manager, coach, working dynamic who have been in place for a decade are the people who I just trust to be well-run. And again, being well-run buys you so many points as uh, Mike Tomlin basically gave away the secret of why NFL teams aren't well-run in that interview he did with the Pivot Pod. I don't know if any of you listened to it. I thought it was really good, but Mike Tomlin basically gave away the secret of like most coaches shy away from the responsibility of coaching and most general managers shied away from being leaders and that buys you so many points in the NFL and every NFL insider was like, yeah, that's pretty much why teams suck a lot of the times. It starts, there are other reasons why they suck. It just starts with like coaches who make a lot of money and call plays, but aren't leaders. And I just generally trust Pete Carroll to to be a good leader because he's done it pretty much everywhere he's gone for the last two decades. So I trust that they have a plan and a vision because otherwise, why the hell would you trade Russell Wilson for just not wanting Russell Wilson on the team anymore? If that's the case, that's a fireable offense for all of those guys. If, if they just traded Russell Wilson just to trade Russell Wilson and they were like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, we, we, I mean, maybe Russell Wilson was like aggressively asking out on the other end, but if they just traded Russell Wilson and said, ah, we'll figure shit out later, then um, one, they'd be like a lot more NFL teams than we like to think and a lot of well-run organizations in sports and business at large of just saying, ah, let's do this and figure out the rest later with no long-term vision. I, again, I said it off the top, I'm trusting that the Seahawks have a long-term vision. I could be proven wrong. I'm just assuming that the Seahawks have a long-term vision mapped out 
for what they do, and that's why they gave DK Metcalf a contract extension and plan to draft one of the quarterbacks at the top of the draft this year and plug him into an offense that's now ready-made to compete with a quarterback on his five years of good value, or I guess great value, of a rookie contract. It's like we're going to maximize all five years of that quarterback having the rookie contract instead of Justin Fields never getting one of the 40 best wide receivers in the NFL during his first two, three seasons with the Chicago Bears. So we're going to be ready year one, ready to go with the new quarterback, and we're going to take four years to try and win with the quarterback on the rookie contract. And interesting strategy if you can get the quarterback. If you can get the right quarterback who you develop, very interesting strategy. And I hope it's Bryce Young. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Major League Baseball's trade deadline is on Tuesday. And so as we head into a weekend where I'm sure a whole bunch of trades are going to go down in baseball because everything has been super duper quiet over the past couple of weeks. Well, I guess the past couple of days more than anything else. There's been a couple trades, but basically there's there was a time in baseball when like everyone made trades like 13 days before the trade deadline, like during the All-Star break, and that time is pretty much gone now because leverage increases the closer you get to the deadline. But basically, Major League Baseball's trade deadline is on Tuesday, and the next two days will probably be, tra- or I guess Monday, Tuesday, but the next couple of days will be all about the trades that actually happen. So, in the spirit of this fun little trade deadline exercise where we're obsessed with sports about the transaction and as sports media access starts to disappear and uh, there's a a fight for your attention year-round if you're a sports league to continue up their revenue streams, as this fight for attention in sports continues, we are going to be more and more obsessed over the transaction more than even the sport which I I joked a few months ago on MLB opening day. It was the second day of MLB opening day. This became, or sorry, the, the, the first day of opening day is where most people play their games. Some people play opening day on the Friday instead of the Thursday. On that Friday, the day after opening day, Bleacher Report had a top headline that said, it's never too early to start thinking about the trade deadline. And I saw that. I'm like, no, it's too early. It's too early for me. I'm I'm good. But it, it made me realize that the transaction window matters so much more than it used to because that's how people drive engagement to sports content is talking about the fake transactions. And we talked about yesterday with Morgan. I'm a sucker for the fake transaction. So I could concoct all of the possible Juan Soto trades for the San Diego Padres. By the way, just as a side note here, this is being recorded at 530 West Coast time on Thursday. So 
if you don't hear me come in right now with a this is Kyle from the future, it means that Juan Soto hasn't been traded at the time of recording this. It means that the only trade I know about will be a free spot on this bingo card that I have concocted for the Major League Baseball trade deadline. I don't know anything. I don't have any information right now. We're just going to roll with it. So that's all I have to offer right now is bingo card is the game. No Juan Soto trade. Last thing I saw is the Padres were heavily engaged on trade talks, which means he's probably going to be a Dodger by the time this podcast comes out. I know it's the easy joke to make. Everyone in baseball Twitter is making the joke. I'm also going to make the same joke because last year I was sitting at a bus stop thinking that the Padres were going to get Max Scherzer and that literally five minutes later, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner were being traded to the Dodgers from the Washington Nationals. So it's real, people. Padres fans have been burnt by this before. We are waiting for Juan Soto to become a Dodger. Anyways... It is a Major League Baseball trade deadline bingo card that I have constructed here today for all of you. Uh, if you're listening to it the day of, if you go to our Instagram, Comical Sports Memes, and Take It Easy Pod, that's take underscore it underscore easy underscore podcast, you will find the bingo card available for you to possibly fill out if you are so inclined. So we have a 4 by 4 bingo card available here for your viewing pleasure uh there's no free spot in the middle but one of the the bingo card games have already checked off so one of these will be a free spot once we get to it why is it four by four because it's really hard to come up with 16 things the first eight were really easy the next eight were a little difficult but we came up with a damn fun bingo card that i'm going to be playing all through the next four days around major league baseball trade deadline and I talked about it briefly on the top of the show before we talked about DK Metcalf. Major League Baseball trade deadline matters a lot. Like, the entire World Series champion gets swung at the trade deadline. I mentioned last year the Atlanta Braves, and this is going to be one of the bingo spots on here, the Atlanta Braves had their entire offense retooled at the trade deadline. They traded for four players who started multiple, I, not multiple, I think like more than 80% of their playoff games. And at the time, pitchers were still hitting. So that's four of their eight batters were traded for at the trade deadline last year. And that team won the World Series. So, I mean, it's an egregious example, but you can point to every single team of like retooling a good portion of their roster at the trade deadline and winning a World Series. Especially because for some reason, the last two years, there's been way more teams that want to sell than teams who want to buy. And this year, the the buyers are very clearly the biggest and bestest teams in baseball. So there's a lot of teams out there making big time trades. And I find that really interesting. So like this, this thing matters a lot. And I've been watching this enough years to realize, hey, this is the one sport that gets the trade deadline right. Because like in the NFL, maybe Odell Beckham gets traded or that one year Jalen Ramsey got traded to the Rams. In the NFL, there's never big time trades. In basketball, there's one or two every trade deadline, and it's gotten bigger as the years have gone on, as more people feel empowered to make trades in the rumor mill cycles. In baseball, there is a shit ton of trades, and because their playoff is so random, sometimes it can mean a lot as you get close to the trade deadline. So much so that Bleacher Report felt compelled to write trade deadline articles on the second day of the season. And part of that is just because baseball's regular season doesn't matter, and part of it is... 
use to prove my my argument here that the MLB trade deadline matters a lot. There's a lot of like landscape altering trades because teams can just go wild and trade players who may never end up coming up to the majors. And if they do come up to the majors, we'll remember it years and years later when these trades go down. But also, the MLB trade deadline is very formulaic. And so with that formulaic example, we're going to play a little bingo card game here. So the first section I have here, again, it's four by four, so it's not it's not really bingo. Let's call it bing. <laughs> and then the O, I don't know where you can put the, the O in there, but let's call it bing because <laughs> it's four by four. Uh, I could add like nine team-centric ones, but that's too much here. So four by four bingo card we have available. First column, we're going to go column by column. So this is the B column. The B column is going to consist of, I guess what I like to call, team-centric trades. So you're looking for these four things in this order on your bingo card. Number one, the team who trades everyone at the deadline. This team last year was the Chicago Cubs. This year, not sure exactly who it's going to be, but there is one team who will trade every single player they have on their team at the trading deadline. My bet might be Oakland. Oakland's gone on a nice little winning streak, so maybe it's not the case. Detroit said they were going to sell everyone, but I dare you to name at least three Detroit Tigers. I forgot Javi Baez was on the team and still could barely name three Detroit Tigers after getting that. Name some Detroit Tigers that actually hold value, but they're available for you. Obviously, Washington is talking about trading Juan Soto. Who's going to be the team? I'm not really sure. My best bets this year, Oakland and Detroit. Those are my best bets for who's going to be the team who trades everyone. Next column, the team who wants to trade everyone. This one has a much larger, broad appeal. This is the team who wants to trade everyone, but they want to trade everyone because they want to ask for exorbitant prices for everyone. And so they end up not trading everyone. I think the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates probably fall into this category. Although Pittsburgh did trade Daniel Vogelbaugh at the deadline already to the Mets. But Pittsburgh falls into this category. Um, the Cubs probably fall into this category of wanting to trade people, but probably won't trade anybody at the deadline. The Diamondbacks fall into this category. Just teams who want to make big trades. Third option in the B column is what I call team who makes a trade that we laugh at on reputation. There's a team who's going to sell a player who we think of as very good, and we're going to instinctively laugh at the team based on reputation. Now, statistically speaking, you are going to get trades right every now and then. Uh, you know how, like, with the the Tampa Bay Rays, we just assume that trades are going to work out great for the Tampa Bay Rays, and then every now and then they traded Jake Cronenworth for, like, Hunter Renfro, and it was, like, a terrible, terrible trade. And I, I can't remember, was it Renfro? They traded someone for Jake Cronenworth, and it was just a really bad trade on Tampa's part. But Tampa may, Tampa messes up every now and then but we just assume they're going to get it right. This is a team who we assume is going to get it wrong, and we're going to laugh at them as soon as the trade is made. Like, think of the New York Knicks uh, in the NBA. We just assume any move they make is going to go poorly. Sacramento Kings, we assume any move they make is going to go poorly. Someone's going to sell at the deadline this year, and we're just going to assume that it's going to be a bad trade. I think the Angels probably fit into this category. Angels trade Shohei Otani. That would be my bet for who we're just going to instinctively assume is making a shitty trade. 
the Angels, you get to be the team this year who fills out that third spot. Maybe someone will get a bingo in the B column. So we have already team who trades everyone, team who wants to trade everyone, player or sorry, team who we assume will make a bad trade based on reputation. The last one in this column is one of my personal favorites for this game, which is team who says they're going to trade everyone, but only trades a middle reliever. Happens every year. It's probably going to be the Tigers. I just throwing it out there. Detroit Tigers are like, everyone is available. And then people are like, you don't have anything good. We're just going to trade for a relief pitcher who we forgot was still in baseball, but signed on a one-year contract to watch his career die in Detroit. So last category, personal favorite, happens every year. Team who says they're going to trade everyone and then only trades a middle reliever at the trade deadline. Not sure. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Philadelphia. Uh, I think that was the pandemic season. It was Philadelphia where they were like, ah, we're out of it. Trade everyone. And they traded like Brandon Workman to Boston or something. Or maybe it was Boston to Philadelphia. I don't remember who it was. Someone got Heath Hembry. I don't remember who who uh, got Heath Hembry in that trade. But one of the red teams made that move where they're like, everyone is available. And then they were like, ah, just kidding. Never mind. Uh, let's see. Heath Hembry got traded to... Oh, he got traded to Philadelphia. Okay, so it was Boston. Boston was like, everyone's available. And then they like only traded a middle reliever at the deadline. Uh, I forgot who it was last year. Maybe it was Miami last year. I can't remember which team was the chaotic. I think it was I think it was probably Pittsburgh last year. But someone does it every year. It's going to happen this year. Team who says everyone is available, but will only trade a middle reliever at the deadline. This can also include a backup. Uh, <laughs> this can also include like a, a, a utility player also falls into this group. Okay, so that was the sellers category. We're going to call it now. Next one we're going to do is what I like to call the buyers category. The buyers category is a, a I guess what we'll call the I column. Now, would it have made more sense for the uh, B and buyers to be the B and bingo? Probably so, but you know, we're just kind of winging it as we go along. So the I column is going to be your buyers. We've done the sellers. Now let's do the buyers. So here are the four subcategories for the buyers. Team who everyone will talk about on the first day, but it's a really bunch of bad trades. Now this is, I mean, we'll get to them later, but this one is usually reserved for the Padres. Everyone gets freaking excited because the Padres get aggressive and they'll probably be a bad trade. I mean, Austin Nola was a bad trade when the Padres got him from the Mariners, and it was like, this is the 10th trade the Padres have made this week. Oh my God, what a deal. Oh, they got Mike Clevenger from the Cleveland Guardians. They're crazy. It's probably going to be a bad trade, but we're going to talk about it a lot. Uh, If you listen to Tuesday's episode, I talked about the Francisco Lindor trade, and even though the Lindor trade wasn't at the trade deadline, it was in the offseason kind of that same vibe of like, oh my god, the Mets are all in on Francisco Lindor, the new owner, you know, rah, rah, rah. And then they traded away, we figured out Ahmed Rosario, who this year has the exact same on-base percentage and OPS and OPS plus as Francisco Lindor. And they also traded Andres Jimenez, who started in the All-Star game for Cleveland. So, Not a great trade for the Mets, but they got Francisco Lindor, and we talked about that for like two months, and it's hard to talk about baseball on a national level, but that trade was super interesting. Um, So that's team who everyone will talk about on the first day, but it's probably bad trades. Number two on the I 
column. Team whose trade gets overhyped because they play in New York. Now, I mentioned the, the Mets a little bit ago. There's really only two teams who this can apply to. It's the Mets and it's the Yankees. Now, we've already started to see it with the Yankees because the Yankees got Andrew Benintendi yesterday. I'm not sure whether they're going to get a starting pitcher. We'll see what happens, but New York is going to get big talk on the trade deadline because New York does something. And this year, both New York teams are, are guaranteed to make the playoffs. So, double trouble. Mets or Yankees, who's going to be the team who gets overhyped because they play in New York? I guess we'll find out in the next few days. Number three, team who buys, but fan base assumes it will go bad. Now, this is different than the one that we had before, which is team that team who makes a trade that we laugh at on reputation that's like the Mets or I'm sorry that's like the well it used to be the Mets the Knicks and the Kings and uh in the NFL the Detroit Lions we assume when Detroit Lions make a trade it's going to go poorly this time we are talking about the team who buys at the deadline and the fan base just assumes the trade is going to go bad this is its own fan base is like ah we'll probably screw this one up like Cubs fan mentality. I mean, the Cubs have now won the World Series and been relevant for years and years, but Cubs fan mentality is what I'm talking about here. Nothing you can do at the deadline. You, you can buy X, Y, or Z player, and the fan base just assumes it's going to go poorly. Um, this is... Who's the best team? Boston is, Boston's good for this. Just a, a generally cursed team. That's a pretty good one. Um, who else falls into this camp? Astros fans do this every now and then, but I think Astros fans have now less of a reason to be skeptical than ever before. I think early Astro fan was like, oh, this is going to mess up somehow, but they've, they've gotten much less skeptical in the years that have followed. Angels fans, maybe the Angels are going to be buyers. They just assume it's going to mess up. The Twins fans assume they're going to mess it up. Someone's going to make a big trade, and the fan base is just going to assume that they're going to screw up because they're the team that they are. The White Sox fall into this category, too. The White Sox are, uh, I don't know if they're going to be buyers or sellers because they're like 48 and 48 right now, but White Sox would fall into this camp, too. Someone's going to make a trade, and their fan base is just going to assume it's going to go bad. Uh, This was... It's, ironically, this was Boston in 2018, and they ended up winning the World Series anyways, but Bo- everyone just assumed Dave Dombrowski was going to F it up. Oh, the Phillies are buyers this year. The Phillies are probably this team. Phillies are going to make a big trade, and the fan base is going to be like, oh, of course this is going to mess up. When have we ever had a good reliever? When have we ever had a good shortstop? I know Gene Segura is pretty good, but like Phillies, Phillies fit into this category. Any team that has Dave Dombrowski fits into this category. That's basically the game I'm playing there. And then the last category here is team who does stupid shit at the deadline that looks good in fantasy baseball. Now, ironically, last year I would have said this was the Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta Braves ended up winning the World Series. So take this one with a grain of salt. Last year's team, this category was the Braves, and they ended up winning the World Series because they just did fantasy baseball. And they're like, we'll take Jorge Soler. We'll take Adam Duvall. We'll take Jock Peterson. Who gives a shit? We'll just put them all in the outfield. And that's going to be our World Series starting outfield. We're going to buy our entire World Series starting outfield at one trade deadline. Um, but yeah, that's basically the the team is going to do fantasy baseball shit. And uh, we'll figure out what happens from there. So that's your buyer's column. If you're following along right now, you've got the B, which is the sellers. The I, which is the buyers. We'll review everything at the end one more time. We're not going to do it right now, but we'll come back to it in a second. Now we have 
the deadline day category. This is the category of everything that happens on the deadline day. So this is your end column on the bing instead of bing o because it's again four by four. But this is deadline day specific moves. So the first one that I want to call onto this list of deadline day is what I like to call the fake blockbuster. Now the fake blockbuster is the trade that happens around eight o'clock in the morning on deadline day that everyone thinks is going to be the big trade of the day. They talk about it for hours and hours because the deadline hasn't quite picked up yet and everyone thinks it's going to be the biggest deal of the entire day because it's the deal that happened early on in the day. One year it was John Lester. One year it was uh, uh, Mike Clevenger with the Padres. One year it was... I don't remember what the trade was, but it then got overshadowed by Hugh Darvish when Hugh Darvish went from Texas to the Cubs. Uh, or Wait, did he go to the Cubs? No, he went from Texas to the Dodgers and then Dodgers to the Cubs. So when he went from the Rangers to the Dodgers, that was the big trade. I forgot what trade got overhyped on that one, but that's uh, that's in the same subcategory of trade deadline. The fake blockbuster, look out for it. Joanna Cespedes also, I think he was part of the John Lester trade, but Joanna Cespedes gets to be in this camp as well. The real blockbuster is the next category, and the real blockbuster is the trade that sometimes we see coming, sometimes we don't. One year it was Manny Machado, one year it was Zach Granke, uh, one year it was you Darvish, one year it was, I gosh, there's been so many of these crazy, tra- oh, the David Price trade, that's right, David Price got traded from um, the Tampa to Detroit, and then the next year got traded from Detroit to Toronto, that was a crazy back-to-back years of David Price, who, if he had stayed healthy, would have been a Hall of Famer, David Price was, this should be the David Price Memorial real blockbuster, the real big blockbuster trade of the day that isn't the fake blockbuster. You got to look for the real blockbuster. Juan Soto would classify under the real blockbuster. It would be a, a bona fide superstar, sometimes with one year left on their contract. That's the real big time superstar trade. Justin Verlander got the category one year as well. Then the last one I have on the, or sorry, two, two to go. The third one is a trade a team makes with five minutes left before the deadline. So if you ever watch any trade deadline coverage, which you should this year, because it's really, really fun. I think it's really, really fun. If you ever watch trade deadline coverage, they always stay on after the deadline passes because the trades get leaked out like 20 minutes after they finish. So like the trade deadline passes and then like 15 minutes later you hear, oh shit, Zach Granke just got traded from Arizona to Houston. And, uh, one, that wasn't you Darvish, but there was one year when there was a crazy trade right before the timer ran out. Sometimes it's a small trade. Sometimes it's a, you know, Craig Kimbrell getting traded. Sometimes it's a middle reliever. Sometimes it's just a regular Starling Marte position player, but every now and then you get a big trade that surprises everyone that comes in 15 minutes after the deadline passes and you get super excited for it. So on your bingo card, make sure to check out, wait until after the deadline to check off trade that gets made five minutes before the deadline, which boy, if you're pushing it right up to the deadline, whew, good luck to you. Famously, the Justin Verlander trade got done with like 17 seconds left 
before the deadline passed for the the trade deadline. So if you're pushing it that close, if you're the kid who like does his homework when he first gets to class or they could be she, if the kid who does their homework right when they get to class because they forgot the night before, live dangerously, my friend, live dangerously. And then the last category I have here is player everyone says will be traded for two months and then doesn't get traded. So like this year, Frankie Montas, that's the best example I can give you. Everyone's been saying since April in that article on Bleacher Report on the second day of the season, Frankie Montas's entire season exists to be traded. If Frankie Montas doesn't get traded at the trade deadline by the Oakland A's, that would be a perfect name for it. Madison Bumgarner had this a couple years ago where it's like, oh, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Giants are going to trade him. Giants are going to trade him. And then the deadline came around. And they were like, no, nope, we're good. We'll keep him. Uh, this happened to, uh, gosh, who? it wasn't the Padres. It was um, the Giants did this a couple times where they just kept players for no reason. It's happened to Lance Lynn a bunch. Like Lance Lynn was on Texas and St. Louis, and it, or I guess it was, yeah, Texas, and it, or I think Texas was the big one, but Lance Lynn would always be like, is this the year Lance Lynn gets traded? And Lance Lynn would never get traded, and then Texas finally tore it down and traded him to the White Sox. For a guy who, Dane Dunning, this is another classic trade example, they got like Dane Dunning in this trade who's just a, another guy, and Lance Lynn's been like a bona fide stud, um, and Dane Dunning, I don't think Dane Dunning made the All-Star team this year, but like, he the last two years has been freaking awesome for the the um for the texas rangers what was his baseball reference page say well actually this year he hasn't had a good season what did dane dunning do last year maybe it was the start of this year where he was just kicking ass now he's kind of an average pitcher again but dane dunning was absolutely kicking ass at the start of the season for texas but yeah look for the player everyone has been saying is going to get traded think of it right now if you're a baseball fan or casual baseball fan who's the one player you've assumed is going to get traded for the last two months and now put that person on the 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 board and wait to see if they get traded i threw frankie montas out there maybe you're thinking of joey gallo maybe you're thinking of uh luis castillo for the cincinnati reds whoever the player is you're thinking of that's the one you gotta wait on just the, the one you assume is going to get traded. Everyone's saying he's going to get traded. You see it on TV when you watch Ken Rosenthal. It's the person everyone assumes is going to get traded and doesn't. So again, this is your end category. The fake blockbuster, the real blockbuster, the trade that gets made five minutes before the deadline and the player everyone says will be traded for two months that doesn't get traded. Now, the last category, I don't know if it has a, uh, a specific number to it or has anything specific like team centric to it but this we'll just call it a miscellaneous category just a a miscellaneous category of trade deadline candidates so the first one is what we're going to call our free spot you've already won this one it's your first row in or uh first row of the fourth column on your bingo board it would be much easier if you look at this online it is anti-vax player who gets traded. And the first, or I guess the second thing we're going to talk about is this player's vaccination status. Now, the only players that I knew aggressively were anti-vaxxers were Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado on the St. Louis Cardinals. And there's a couple times every now and then when a team goes to Canada 
and we find out about the player's vaccination status because they don't travel with the team because you can't cross the Canada-U.S. border if you don't have a vaccine. And Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado were both not in St. Louis when St. Louis went across the border. Now, in fairness, those players are not going to get traded. But you know who was going to get traded? Every single player on the Kansas City Royals. Because the Kansas City Royals have 10 players, 10 players who don't have a vaccine. So one of them was going to get traded, and that was going to be the talking point. At one point, the New York Yankees said they were out on Andrew Benintendi because of his vaccination status. And now, Andrew Benintendi's a New York Yankee. So, there you go. Andrew Benintendi gets your free spot already on this board of anti-vax player who's going to get traded and all we're going to talk about is their anti-vax status as we should probably it's better to talk about their anti-vax status than how Andrew Benintendi is going to impact the Yankees lineup in the playoffs so anti-vax player check that one off next one is 10th place team that buys this is team who every year probably isn't in contention but their owner wants to convince them that that 4% chance they have of making the playoffs will actually come true. This is basically just the Angels every year. Like, the Angels are the best example I can point to of this. Is like, let me make one buying move. Let me make one move to galvanize the team. And uh, usually does not work out. So, if we're gauging who's in 10th place right now in Major League Baseball, who are the candidates for this Miami Marlins said they were open to talking about everyone, but the Miami Marlins would be a good example for this. Baltimore Orioles are a great example of this. The Baltimore Orioles have a like above 500 Baltimore Orioles have a better record than the Chicago White Sox, which I find absolutely hilarious. Like I cannot emphasize just how funny I find it that the Baltimore Orioles have a better record than the Chicago White Sox this year. And like over half of the American league central, which I've, said many times the American League Central is just a Ponzi scheme. I cannot explain how funny I find it that the Baltimore Orioles are that good. They're a great candidate for a team that's going to buy that definitely should not buy because there's no way they're going to catch Seattle, Tampa Bay, Toronto, even the White Sox who are probably about to go on a big win streak. Like they, It's just not going to happen for them. It's just not going to happen. So that would be a great team there. Uh, Marlins are the best example I can think of in the National League. Um, Giants would be a good example of this, although the Giants seem like they're going to do the thing the Giants do every year, which is stand pat, except for that one year that, I guess it was last year, they won 107 games and they traded for Chris Bryant. They're going to do the thing they always do, which is just stand pat. Uh, The third category I have here is team in the playoffs who doesn't trade for anyone. And this is always a fun game to play of like, how does this impact locker room morale that this team is in first place, but the front office didn't bring them any replacements. And uh, I don't really care that much to follow up on what happens there. It just happens every year. One of the teams makes only a minimal trade. And so the team who makes the fewest transactions is the team we have to crap on. The, f- the, <laughs> the buyer who makes the fewest transactions is the team we have to make a big deal about. If, how is their locker room feeling about management? It'll happen every year. It'll happen to someone this year. Even if the team makes a trade before the deadline, if you don't make as many trades as another team, you will get crapped on for not being aggressive enough. It happens every year. It's going to happen this year. And the last one I have on the list is the Padres. Now, the Padres is just its own category. I can't tell you exactly what it is going to be, but the Padres 
I mean, it's my it's my favorite team. The Padres fucking own the trade deadline every year. Ever since they've actually started being good, they own the goddamn trade deadline. Like three years in a row, they have just owned the trade deadline. And they're now going all in on Juan Soto. Last year, they were all in, air quotes, on Max Scherzer. And then Max Scherzer and Trey Turner ended up on the Dodgers. I, Padres are going for it, man. Padres are a team that's been sub 500 since like May, but damn it if the Padres ain't going to do some stupid shit just to lose in the wild card round. Damn if the if the Padres aren't going to do stupid shit just so they can make the second round the the divisional series and get swept by the Dodgers. That they are going all in on we are going to do stupid shit and play three meaningless playoff games and I am all for it cuz I am flying to San Diego for a home playoff game this year. I said I was going to do it in 2020 pandemic knocked that out give me a playoff game in san diego injected straight into my veins because i want to watch them play in the playoffs for the second time in my memorable lifetime so to check off this bingo spot just you'll know it when you see it and if you don't see it then i guess you don't get to check off that bingo spot but this one is up to your interpretation just padres you know it when you see it. It feels weird to say that name because, like, the, the name should not exist. Like, the, the, for people who don't know, the Friars or the Padres, who were the people who ran the missions in California during the 1700s, like the, the Catholic Christian missions, basically like slave camps. It's so weird. I, we're not ready to have that conversation as a society yet, but Padres' name should definitely be changed. Just, they ring a mission bell to close out games. Like, they... They gotta, they gotta switch the name up on that. Anyways, uh, yeah, Padres, you'll know it when you see it. Maybe we'll call it San Diego. That way, the, the San Diego baseball team. Because uh, Lord knows we should not be worshipping the people who enslaved Native Americans and com- just committed an eensy-weensy genocide of Native Americans. Uh, but yeah, Padres, that when, you'll know it when you see it. When AJ Preller does dumb shit, you'll know it when you see it. Could be good, could be bad, just gonna be dumb shit. That's our bingo card for the MLB trade deadline. Play it all weekend, and we will talk to you again on Monday. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. And uh, we will see you again for episode 997 on Monday, unless the Padres trade for Juan Soto, in which I'm going to go crazy on a Wired Up podcast. But other than that, we will talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your summer. Take it easy, everybody. Yeah.